Welcome to Everything Life Coaching. I'm John Kim. And I'm Noelle Cordeaux. We are the founders of Lumia. And we're super passionate about all things coaching, and we want to share what we've learned from over a decade of coaching and training thousands of life coaches. Let's dive into the science and magic of coaching. On today's episode, the importance of intersectional storytelling in coaching. Noel, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. Every time we have a long title, I feel like the fourth grader who has to stand up and read for class and is terrified that he's going to do it wrong. We can work on titles. This is uh, this is this like is overcomable. Title. Yes. Um, <laughs> hey, before we begin, can we do something that is very Noel? Three things you're grateful for, and what is your intention slash mantra for today? Ooh! Oh, I love that, and I love Look that it, it's coming excited. from you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right. So the the first one has to deal with our time together today that I mm. am grateful for the space to create original thought around coaching and theory and to put it out into the world because our field is so new. Um, much of what we do at Lumia is, is put stuff into the world that doesn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. And to be a creator is truly a gift. Um, the second thing that I'm grateful for are my family and friends. I'm surrounded by awesome people. And mm. I feel so often that the people in my life are the true riches that I have as I walk yeah. this, this journey of life. Um, third thing is my dog, George. Yes, George. George, uh, is 11 now and Mm. he woke me up at two o'clock in the morning because he had to projectile vomit. Um, (laughs) so I'm a little tired today. (laughs) George has the kindest eyes. He does. He's a sweetheart. And I, you know, 2 a.m. aside, I'm grateful for all of the minutes that I get to spend with him. Yeah. Um, And he's precious. And what is, uh, your mantra slash intention for today? My intention for today is to is to swim in the deep spaces. Mm. Oh, that sounds yeah. that sounds uh, dangerous and courageous and scary. <laughs> well, it's it's actually comfortable for me. Um, yeah. I, I I'm tired. I didn't didn't sleep after after the dog had to go out, and it's nice when I'm kind of feeling um, tired like this. To, to go into depth of thought and to really push around um, theoretical concepts mm-hmm. and to do some writing and deep excavation. It's like a nice way to, to wade through tired days. Nice. How about you? Uh, the first thing I'm grateful for is your outlines when we do these podcasts. So, ah. Yeah, I'm a f- part of four podcasts and with you, it's so easy because, um, you know, you give me an outline, you tell me what the topic's going to be about. And so, uh, it's just, it's easy to have that in front of me. So if I haven't thanked you before, thank you for that. You're welcome. I'm grateful to be in my little, uh, tree house. We have a, a little Airbnb up in the mountains, uh, two hours away from Los Angeles and it's become my little favorite place. So even if it's for, we're only up here for a couple of days, but 
um, just to get away from the city. Um, it's such a gift, so I'm grateful for that. And then the third thing is um, I'm grateful. Uh, I'm going to steal yours. Uh, grateful to just create a dialogue and be of service to uh, not only our students, but anyone interested in coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. How about your intention, your mantra? My intention today is to uh, be here, meaning, Mm. um, you know, I could drink water out of the tap here, which you can't in Los Angeles. I know on the East Coast, you probably can. Um, Yes. The air is crisp and um, people that live here uh, make eye contact and call each other by their first name. So, I want to just, um, I just want to soak it up before I go home tomorrow. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm so glad you get to have that experience. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that the little bit of sharing, the little bit of storytelling that we did today, the little window into our existence, our minds, our hearts is a really good setup for this topic today. Mm. So. When we think about coaching, one of the things that is really clearly expressed in the ICF Code of Ethics is that we need to understand our client fully in the context of culture and the influence of culture Mm -hmm. and the influence of, of, of implicitly dominant culture and in terms of systemic inequality. And oftentimes what's missing from that mandate is the tactical how. How do we do that? How do we work with someone and help them to feel enough trust and safety that Mm -hmm. they can share with us the real story, the background, the bruises, the cuts, the internalized shame, the barriers that no one has any idea exist so that we can effectively partner in a real strategic way, holding those barriers, not as um, something that that we want to be afraid of, but holding those barriers as a positive set of data so that we can really work towards goal accomplishment. Yeah. And I think now more than ever, right? I mean, um, what we're talking about today has become foundational or it's becoming foundational. It's not something that is, uh, extra, uh, you know, knowing someone's culture background, understanding it without judgment, incorporating who they are, where they come from into the conversation. Uh, at least in my lifetime, it's, it's never, it's never been there, you know, it's never been there. And, uh, you know, since this is new, since this is something that's really emergent in society, of course, folks who are a heck of a lot younger than you and I um, are much more adept at handling this stuff. But it's our generation, um, folks who are, God help me, I'm going to say this out loud, middle age, um, that are having the most difficult time reckoning with this because we were socialized, we were trained under the weight of dominant society and especially at work to keep ourselves hidden and fit in and at school Mm -hmm. to keep ourselves hidden and fit in. Um, When you were growing up in Los Angeles, in middle school and high school, how was difference handled with by peers? 
Uh, man, I, um, I wasn't harassed. I wasn't bullied, but, uh, it was definitely a factor. And, uh, I, I, uh, internalized it, meaning I felt, um, like the outsider, I, I felt like I needed to do more to fit in. So whether that was uh, bring an ability or designer clothes or do something else um, so I could fit in, uh, me just being a Korean kid was, uh, uh, was less than and not enough. And I remember early on, I used to take the, uh, this is very specific, I used to take the, um, the keys, one key, and run it along my eye wrinkle to make sure that the eye wrinkle was there. I would trace my eye wrinkle um, with, with, with a key, with a house key, and uh, uh, it would make my eyes um, bigger. Wow. <laughs> I know, and that was, uh, um, that was uh, something that uh, I thought made me more, quote-unquote, American. Thank you for sharing that story. That's it, it's so intimate, and it, it gives me a visual of of you as a a kid and how physical and visceral it it was for you to be aware of an aspect of difference that showed up for you every day and and literally how you carried um a solution with you in the set of your your keys (laughs) yes and you know what's interesting is when i think about it myself um, because I'm in my own body, I just see it as like, you know, me doing my hair or, or brushing my teeth. And, you know, I put the key in my eye for an, for an eye wrinkle. But if I was to actually imagine my daughter, a 10-year-old, uh, uh, doing something like that to fit in, I mean, I feel so sad. I mean, yeah. Like, like that picture will bring me to, to tears. Me seeing myself doing it um, because there's distance. I don't, I don't see it as, as sad, but um, yeah, when I think of someone else doing it, it's just so sad that that's what they had to do to feel like they were important or fit in. Yeah, absolutely. And those feelings that we need to do something extra um, or or that we can't do something mm-hmm. because of a difference that we experience, those aren't just for kids. They stay with us well into adulthood and yeah absolutely those internalized thoughts and feelings show up Mm -hmm. in the space of coaching Mm -hmm. when someone is working to overcome something or move the ball forward or change the entire trajectory of their life switch a career uh hit a, a goal at work you know whatever it is these are the the pebbles in our shoes mm-hmm. that can weigh us down. And yeah. unless you take the time to hang with someone in a way where you've earned trust, you might not know that they have pebbles in their shoes. Right. This topic came up for me because I was having a virtual coffee with a colleague. And this colleague is a really cool human. Just somebody who just knocked my socks off and who has an interest in coaching. And I, I offered, I said, have you ever considered a coaching certification? You know, Lumia is my company. Let's talk about it. And what happened next really surprised me. My colleague said that they had come from 
such a background of economic scarcity as a child that they didn't feel like they could move forward with picking up some kind of additional certification because the cost of something extra would be really just intellectually and emotionally prohibitive. And this is somebody who has a PhD. This is somebody who has an extensive uh, high-level resume. And I, I was completely blown away that at such an advanced position in life, this person had a blocker Mm-hmm. around gaining a credential that went all the way back to childhood and the idea of opportunity cost. It's interesting how much uh, uh, of an imprint our childhood has and how, uh, even if we're aware of it, how much it still seeps through as adults. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing that struck me the most about this particular example is um is how absolutely invisible that facet of this person's life is Mm -hmm. and how unless we actually talked about it i would have no way of knowing what was the real deal what was really up and we were able to to talk through um the the benefit of a coaching certification and some options for scholarship and, and work towards the solution set but had i not known that a barrier existed there would be no appropriate solution set. It would just be, oh, no, this person's not interested without ever understanding what was underneath of it. Right. So because our intersectional identities are are so vital and powerful and foundational to beginning to understand who a person is from the perspective of meeting and overcoming challenges, um, as coaches and as coaches, and I'm talking about coaches who work in private practice, one-on-one coaches who work with um, groups, coaches who have online communities, coaches who work in organizations, we have to work extra hard to create intellectual space for ourselves to ask mm-hmm. those questions and to get really curious about whether or not there may be something that we're missing that we don't know that we've not seen. Um, what are some, you know, you shared your, your Korean heritage as uh, something that was a barrier to you in terms of belonging. Are there any other aspects of yourself that you're aware of that might be invisible to other people that have held you back? I would say, um, you mean under the umbrella of culture or mm, just culture as, as a human or being? any aspect of intersectionality? So, you know, something that comes up for me is we're both divorced. Right. Yeah. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. Divorced. Um, I mean, obviously, a uh, Korean American. Um, also, growing up where, uh, because of uh, being Korean, um, having to work for the, the, uh, the Korean family business. And so, mm. um, you know, my parents owned a, uh, one of the businesses we owned was a Popeye's chicken and, uh, I hated it. I had to go there and, uh, every weekend I would, my childhood, <laughs> my high school weekends were spent, um, being forced to work at a fast food restaurant, you know? 
Um, so with that comes, because um, a lot of uh, other kids were getting jobs at cool places and um, I was forced to do that. So that was part of my story. Uh, divorce is probably one of the, one of the, one of the biggest ones. Um, and then this idea of um, not going to a Ivy League school or uh, uh, even a U.S. like going going to um, um, a Cal State school and then judging myself for that and studying something like film, where in my parents' eyes was was kind of a joke and a fast way out. And uh, even in therapy school, you know, um, going to kind of like the um, uh, I, I make fun of it. I, I call it the 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 vry of therapy schools, <laughs> but uh, you know, um, never education was never something that uh, um, I excelled at, and so um, that being a part of my story as well. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. So you know, from the coaching perspective of of being able to hear and understand these stories these pieces, you know, kind of honing in on, on education, because that's something I, I didn't know about you before you shared just now. You thought I went to Harvard? Well, I, I mean, I don't, have changed about me? I, <laughs> no, but I didn't know that that was something that bugged you. Yeah. It made, made me feel less than and dumb and you know, that whole thing. Yeah, for sure. You just said something so important right there. You said it made me feel. Mm -hmm. It made me feel a certain way. And I think that's the crux of what we're getting at here is, is when, when we or when our clients or when the people around us in our communities have parts of them that make me feel or make them feel something, um, it, it is, it's what gets in the way of goal accomplishment. Yeah. Um, how did that show up for you? or did it get in the way at all? Are you consciously aware of, of any times where your feelings of less than uh, got in the way for you where you didn't sure. do something or? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think um, just starting a blog was my way of um, writing and um, um, telling my story, uh, but it wasn't graded. Do you know what I'm saying? I think that's what attracted me to to the the blog uh, or the the blogging platform uh, 12 years ago was because uh, to me that wasn't academic. That was fun. That was me uh, playing with my Legos, and and I didn't think anyone would, would read it. So it was kind of the secret thing I I uh, was doing uh, that required writing and that required uh, being uh, you know thinking critical thinking and all that. Um, but I knew I wouldn't be graded. I knew I wouldn't have to turn it in, if you will. You know, and mm. so I felt I felt I found safety in that. And then, of course, um, I had to do that to build confidence um, because I didn't know that I would eventually be a published uh, writer because that to me is graded <laughs> and that that is out in the world. Um, I mean, sorry, blogs. But uh, to me, that was, you know, um, quote unquote, uh, prof a professional. And so I don't think I would have had the courage or the confidence uh to push myself into writing self-help books if I didn't have the long runway of practicing on, on the blog, blogging platform just because of my story of, of being insecure and, and feeling dumb. Wow. Wow. And, I, you know, it's interesting because, and, and so often, and this is why we've been great business partners over the years, is um, my story is similar, but kind of in the opposite. So some invisible things about me that have really gotten in the way 
over the years is that I really struggled with depression mm. in my teen years and into my my young adulthood um, mm. and maybe even a little bit through my 30s. And I also, that coincided with, with deep eating disorders. Right. And of course, um, I identify as a woman. And so, you know, everyone is, is able to see that I'm very femme. Um, and, and that is, that's one of my, my statuses that really played into my relationship with eating disorders um, and depression. And I felt 100% not capable of going down a route that had anything to do with math, business, entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, and I felt that academia was a place that was safe right. and kind of walled off. And so I pushed really hard on the academic side of things and hid from, from kind of playing around mm -hmm. um, publicly uh, as with my voice, by, with writing, with things that aren't graded, because then it goes into the court of public opinion. And that was much more terrifying mm -hmm. for me. And anyone who works with me as a coach needs to understand that um, those deep roots of eating disordered thinking, of depriving myself, um, show up still today in in the way that I, I might be a workaholic in yeah. different aspects. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. And, and, and so, yeah, you know, as we tell our stories, um, if someone was coaching us, I mean, these are huge points and he, these are things that uh, uh, it's invaluable information for them to know uh, to not only create the conversation, but also the kind of space that, that needs to be held for us. Uniquely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's 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 really three prongs here that I wanted to touch on uh, for coaches because when, whenever we talk about the importance of intersectional storytelling, of, of giving someone a space where there's enough trust and safety to share their story, the number one question that I get is, well, isn't that therapy? Mm -hmm. Um, John, as a therapist. What do you think the difference is between hearing somebody's story uh, and knowing where they come from and doing therapy? Yeah, the big word for me is treatment. You know, um, you are not just because you're hearing my story uh, and, uh, you know, how I felt less than because um, I wasn't good at school. Uh, you're not treating me for that. You know, nope. you're not treating me for um, ADD or or anything, you're, you're hearing my story so you get to know me better uh, to help me accomplish my goals in the, the present and how I wanna move the, the needle forward. So like if you were coaching me um, because I've been securities about my next book, well, of course I'm gonna tell you about uh, how I did poorly in school because that's probably tied to my current insecurities today. And um, it may be something I'm not even aware of, right? That the coach points out and so, there's a lot of juicy, valuable information there, and it has nothing to do with treatment. So um, you are not being my therapist, you are being my coach because you're not treating me for anything. Absolutely. And you know, turning towards the ICF uh, standards and competencies, what we're doing is we're, we're becoming aware of the influence of culture. Mm-hmm. 
on our clients and the way that our clients relate to dominant culture um, and concepts of privilege, which is really important information to understand um, to help remove barriers so that people can overcome them. And then there's another piece here, which is um, undoing our own unconscious bias, or at mm. least getting to a place where we are aware of what it feels like when bias pops up for us, especially if folks are sharing things with us that go against the dominant culture. Divorce yeah. is a great example there. Yeah. Um, in 2022, 2023, um, I think divorce is less of a scary word. It, it might depend on on where you are in in the world globally, mm -hmm. but I don't experience a lot of of pushback with the D word. But when I was 29 years old, a very long time ago, and getting divorced, I I did experience pushback. What was your experience like? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, and especially, uh, you know, coming from kind of a, uh, an old school Korean family, when I told my parents I was getting a divorce, it was a, it was a big deal. And mm -hmm. I think they were more, um, because they bought into the fact that divorce meant failure and you don't get a divorce. And uh, my parents would have been divorced years ago if, if they, you know, uh, grew up in, in today's times where divorce is, is more accepted, but they grew up where divorce is not a thing and we don't get divorced. And so when I told them I got divorced, it was crushing for them. Um, so yeah, I, I felt it all around. And I felt like as a 35 year old who is now uh, having to start all over and got a divorce, um, not only did I feel like I, you know the marriage failed, but uh, I felt like uh, salvaged was stamped on my forehead. You know, I felt like it was gonna be harder for, for someone else to love me because um, my marriage didn't work out. Yeah. And that, you know, those are pebbles, you know, mm -hmm. so if you were working with a relationship coach, that coach would need to know that those pebbles were in your shoes and were weighing you down. Right. They're invisible. Um, so, and then, you know, the third piece is, is, okay, well, well, how do we do this? So if, if we're, creating a space where people can tell us their stories, if we're getting a handle on our own triggers or learning what it feels like when something that someone tells us bumps up against our own ingrained value system so that we can put our own feelings aside, what do we replace it with? And the answer is empathy. Mm. Empathy and partnership. Yeah. Um, one of my, one of my favorite phrases that I use often is the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And it, it's a, it's a quote by Audre Lorde. Mm. Uh, she wrote and delivered an essay um, famously talking about the lack of uh, black feminist speakers on a feminist panel and the need for, for women to come together in partnership and not sit separately because of the differences that uh, race has injected mm -hmm. into partnership between women, but to really embrace them and say, hey, because we are working together towards the same goal, we need to walk arm in arm and let our differences exist mm -hmm. um, and, and use that as a superpower to, to say, you know, there's even more to overcome here. Yeah. 
And um, implicit in that essay, there's a quote, Audre Lorde quotes Simone de Beauvoir. Did I say that right? I have no idea. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> but the um, the quote is, and, and I and I think it, it's so pertinent to what we're talking about. Is it is in the knowledge of the genuine conditions of our lives that we must draw strength to live and our reasons for acting. Mm. And and that really stuck with me because you know. Uh, so very similar to what Lord was talking about. As coaches, it is our responsibility to hold up um, the differences that our clients trust us enough to share and partner with our clients so that we can move forward towards a goal. And only if we know the genuine conditions of our clients' lives can we understand where they're drawing strength from. Right. to live and their reasons for acting. Yeah, I, I uh, man, I was just thinking that uh, um, even if you pull out of coaching and just in general, what you're talking about, um, if people uh, made an effort to do that, we would just all be better to each other. Yes. I mean, just understanding each other instead of uh, controlling or judging or trying to manipulate um, that that flips the magnet back. That produces so much glue. And um, right now we live in a world where there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of resistance because people are trying to control and uh, you know hold down and all that stuff. The opposite of what we're talking about. Absolutely. And you know, I I look through the lens of um, critical thought, feminist theory. But when I bridge that world over to coaching what coaching does really specifically is gives us the tools and gives us the roadmap on how to do that. Mm -hmm. And here's a great example is that, you know, implicit in hearing somebody's story, building partnership um, and shining that flashlight on the dark and painful pieces that make our story our, a story is confidentiality. Yeah. And coaching gives us really specific rules about confidentiality. So you can move forward into these spaces that if you don't have rules, if you don't have frameworks, if you don't have any guidelines, they can feel really terrifying mm -hmm. to, to enact because you don't know what to do and you're afraid of messing up. But when you take the frameworks of coaching with confidentiality and trust and safety and mirroring back, and you're not telling someone what to do, you're asking somebody what their experience is and what it means to them, boom, you have a beautiful roadmap to do better, no matter what yeah. you're trying to do. You know, this stuff we're talking about is also not optional, it's foundational. Yes. You know, you're setting up a relationship with your client and without this piece, uh, it can get slippery. Uh, people could have hurt feelings. People could feel uh, misunderstood, and uh, that then the, then the space is is not safe, and it's not going to be productive or, or healthy. Absolutely, and and when when it is done properly, when these tenets are foundational, the outcome is nurturance 
connection and interdependence. Mm. And the word interdependence is really important and interesting to me because I get it visual. When I think of interdependence, what comes up for me is an actual web of of connectedness. It's like connected tissue or a spider web or a, a woven tapestry or some yarn that is is woven together. And if if we weren't laced together psychologically mm-hmm. as humans, uh, life just blows right through us. Yeah. But if we're if we're laced up with threads of nurturance and connection, then we're strong. We're stronger together. Mm, I love that. Me too. That's what Lord talks about. And that's um, my great privilege, you know, going back to my gratitude to be able to tie um, what so many theorists have been talking about for so long mm-hmm. um, in terms of, of moving the dial for all humans to be able to, to access and flourish in life to the application of that work through coaching. Right. I love it. It it makes um coaching bigger than coaching. <laughs> right? Because when you think of coaching, you think of yeah, I'm, I'm coaching people helping their lives, but it's almost uh coaching then become, becomes almost a um a, a global responsibility or a on this planet or a human thing, you know. Which I love. It is. And it it has um it has the potential to do that. So for those of you who are are circling the discipline of coaching, come on in. The water is so warm. Yeah. And just from the very human perspective of we all have to deal with the world that we live in right now, <laughs> all hands on deck. Thanks for listening to Everything Life Coaching. If you're feeling the draw to become a coach, head to lumiacoaching.com slash everything. Explore a new career that brings fulfillment, gives you a true sense of purpose, and a bold community to do it with. Lumia is ready to equip you with the tools, training, and community you will need to reach your goals. If you're ready to build a unique coaching business on your own terms while making an impact on the world at large, Lumia is the next bold step in your coaching journey. That's lumiacoaching.com slash everything. And hey, if you're waiting for a sign, this is it.